Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Rusty Quill presents Below Decks, a thrice-forgotten deep dive. Episode 8, Making the Music. Hello and welcome to another episode of Below Decks, where we dig into some of the research questions, stories and generally tangential interesting things that went into making Trice Forgotten. I'm Raffaella, my pronouns are she, they, and I'm the director of the series as well as one of the writers. So today, very excitingly, we are going to talk about the music. Last time, Nemo talked a little bit about the process of the sound design. And this week, we're going to talk more about what went into creating the music itself. This is coming out towards the end of the series, either after episodes eight or nine. We're not entirely sure, but we'll steer clear of spoilers just in case. We are thrilled to be joined today by our guest, Sam Jones, who I'm going to ask him to introduce himself. Sam, please tell us, what have you done to contribute to Tries Forgotten? (laughs) (laughs) Hi, yeah, I'm Sam Jones, he, him, and I am resident composer at Rusty Quill and composer of the score for Tries Forgotten. Very happy to be here. Hello. Yeah, our score. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Score's the word, yeah. It's one of the reasons I'm um, very excited to be doing this episode because the music is an element of the show that we know that listeners have consistently loved. And of course, we are also joined by Nemo, who 
definitely doesn't need an introduction at this point, but Nemo, give us one anyway. Hello, I'm Nemo Martin. My pronouns are they, them, and I am the creator of this show. Yes, I can confirm. I get many, many DMs about the music, and I'm like, hell yeah, and I know your website off by heart now, Sam. And I'm like, (laughs) here's the SoundCloud, and here's it on Spotify. You can stream it. Go, go, go. Yeah, I think how can we have the music has been one of the the most asked questions uh, about the series. So I'm going to kick off by asking Sam, you, as you said, you're the resident composer for Rusty Quill. What does that mean? Tell us more about that and what you do. Crikey. I mean, what it means is I've been friends with Alex for about 29 (laughs) years. And um, he asked me when he started the company to write him some music, some theme tunes for some podcasts he was doing. And that hasn't stopped and so that's that's what that means it means that he stuck with me and uh yeah I, I i mean we just kind of ended up with parallel careers and we always said let's work together and he's always been very loyal to me as a composer so he consistently asks me to write music to various podcasts that rusty quill are doing which is all very exciting very interesting work and so because you've done so many is this sort of a blanket approach kind of to to finding your way into creating the music for a show or what does it depend on what makes it different well what makes it different is the the content is so varied every podcast is so so different but yeah in terms of approach that's something that guess alex and i kind of got to grips with early on i mean there is no one way to do it but it's all kind of changed over the years really depending on very practical things like money and you know what the growing team in each podcast has wanted so for instance when I spoke to you about this early on I kind of already had a method of doing things which is like this is what you're going to need when it comes to editing it all and and that's sort of the amount of music you're going to want and and stuff like that but essentially my questions are always the same at the beginning of the process and I just want an idea of energy and tone they're the two questions that I ask avoiding any sort of semblance of like musical parlance I don't want to hear what the director or producer wants specifically musically at first I don't I don't want to know because 90% of the time no matter how good they are musically it isn't exactly what they want and Alex will attest to that as well he he would always say you know I really want more trumpet here and I'm like no you don't you don't you you don't you you don't want trumpet Um, not that I have anything against trumpets. In fact, the first notes I wrote for him were trumpet in the uh, gaming podcast. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I try and keep it really a non-music specific conversation at first to make it very about tone and about the, the energy of, of stuff. And specifically for this, it was about who or what or where needs music and you know what needs to be represented musically. Because, you know, it's quite a long form, right? I've been mean, podcasts in a series. It's it's a long narrative structure, so it's quite hard to without actually sitting down and scoring it minute by minute, which we knew we couldn't do for this. Mm. To know what you're going to need for a, however many episodes is is quite tough to predict. So that, that those were kind of our initial conversations, I think. Yeah, I, well, it, the music was one of the first kind of elements of directing the show that I interacted with. So having written my my episodes of it. 
and having worked with Nemo on sort of a bit of the kind of script editing of the series and Nemo can attest we spent long hours kind of going does this make sense okay if we put <laughs> if, we, if we put this clue here and this reveal here so by the time I get talked to you Sam I had the shape of the show very definitely in my head but it, it absolutely was uh, a process like instead of going where do we need music and it being it's almost a bit of a guessing game. Like, you can kind of never know absolutely. As a director, I'm kind of going, OK, with my sort of director and my dramaturgy brain on, I guess, I'm, my script editor brain in gear, I'm going, OK, well, I think that we're going to want to save X, Y and Z things for the end. It's really tempting to kind of spend all of our resources at the beginning of the series but actually this is who we need to prioritize or these are the characters that we need to prioritize and which is sort of brilliant and exhilarating but also terrifying because I said you are mostly just kind of guessing (laughs) about what you're going to need unfortunately for us the uh, music has worked out incredibly well on this show very glad Going back to picking up what you said about uh, not initially wanting any kind of, I was going to say musical notes, which is a terrible unintended pun, but you know you know what I mean, like specifically <laughs> yeah. musical terminology, I'm just wanting vibes. That was something that I found incredibly helpful because I'm not a musical person at all. Should we talk about, because also Nemo, I was drawing very much on our conversations for then these conversations I had with Sam. What were the early vibes that we wanted to put in place for, for this series? Yeah, it was interesting hearing Sam talk about like scoring the entire show because I was like, oh yeah, of course that would have, somebody would have had to think about that because I completely had only realized just now that that wouldn't be possible (laughs) having this conversation, but knew that there were like three or four bits of music in the show, especially Anne's flute was pretty early on because she's really sneaky she sneaks up on people and it's really hard to do that without a visual component to how to tell that she is coming how to foreshadow her basically and I was like oh the flute would be a really interesting way to do that obviously Alestes's childhood backstory being the like key one yeah we did have these sort of key pieces of music that were that are in universe that are inside the script and absolutely um Anne's flute is one of them which it's yeah it's such a clever way of kind of having a sort of quite sinister character I think sort of arrive in the background of a scene on audio the lullaby I would say nanny singing yeah which we have had in episode two so that's all right for me to talk about (laughs) yeah Um, can you think of any other any other like in-universe pieces of music the the one that I found the most funny uh Siva singing the Alexander song singing the British Grenadier yes that's it yeah (laughs) Yes, that was a joke that I could not quite resist. Um, But I think the flute and the lullaby then went into defining the tone of the music and the tone of the show as a whole, because they're both quite haunting pieces of music. And I think that is something that became very apparent that for all that this is a nautical epic and a sort of rollicking pirate adventure Ultimately, the characters are informed by these things that they can't let go of or are trying to let go of, especially Alestes, obviously, being constantly sort of followed around by her own past. Mm. Yeah, Sam, does that kind of seem... Thinking about those early conversations that, that we had about how this should sound, both in terms of its genre, but also how it's different from what we normally think of this genre as being. Absolutely. Uh, and I remember specifically the lullaby being very early in our conversations. And actually, 
I remember it being a puzzle for me to solve at one point because I, being overeager as I am, had already <laughs> started the main title and then was talking, uh, just going forwards what to do and then there was the mention of the lullaby and, and me needing to realise its importance narratively and then finding a way to weave that in. And lullaby is one of those happy things that literally happened as soon as I... which doesn't happen... <laughs> but you, I literally just sat down and played it and you know had the words in front of me and the tune came to mind and that, that was nice because it, it, when that happens to me it, I don't know usually you get nervous about when that happens you're like <laughs> no this needs to be changed but actually it felt right and um, you know just with very straightforward musical influence really um, it's just this idea of a pentatonic scale five note scale which is, is seen all across folk music across the world and so it seemed it just seemed right and I managed to find a way to get that into the main title quite subtly in the end but um, because it's quite bombastic <laughs> but yeah yeah absolutely the, those were conversations very early on and specifically because the main title was was the the first venture i guess it was important to get that sense of adventure but also really put you in place straight away and and to get that tone bang on took a couple of goes i think but yeah that was a really fun thing to integrate those the, like specifically the, the 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 flute as well that's something I, I remember us talking about quite a lot and really wanting that to be as accurate as possible and just really feel right and that immediately as soon as we had those discussions was like right we need to get it recorded by a really good player and you know all of this and those were very early decisions in this process for me as well. Tell us about that instrument, because um, yeah. one of my memories from the process is hearing an early draft of the theme, which was already sounding brilliant, but then I remember you sort of saying, oh, this thing would I've put in a temporary instrument, but we're actually going to record with a different instrument. And when I then heard that, I was like, oh, my God, you know, it sort of lifted it into a whole other dimension. Yeah, well, well this, this project, more than any I've done, is one where the recorded elements have changed it, completely just made it. And I've been very, very fortunate with the players I've, I've had record for this. For, well, flutes, firstly. Um, I mean, we talked very early on, uh, specifically you wanted a sautruk, which is this Vietnamese bamboo flute, which proved very, very difficult to get hold of. <laughs> and I, I tried, you know, the, the best sort of avenue I had to, to try and get someone was um, actually my air player, uh, who I'd already had in place. I was like, immediately, as soon as I knew what, what I needed for LSDs, I knew I needed air who. So I, I, and I happened to know someone. And I was like, do you happen to know any Vietnamese Star Trek <laughs> players? Uh, it, it just proved very, very difficult. But up my sleeve, I did have a reserve option, and to, to call him a reserve option is a bit mean because he's he's this veteran of Hollywood film recording. Oh my god! <laughs> a guy called Tony Hinnigan who has played on Avatar, on Braveheart, on Titanic. There's actually a funny story, <laughs> which is that, so he came over to my studio to record, and he brought about five like travel cases full of flutes. Oh my god! And he said that's less than half his collection. Wow. He, I, I knew him by reputation, and was very lucky to get him in. And 
because of the nature of those flutes, the, the mechanics of them and them being built in certain scales and not being what we call chromatic, so they can't change between keys. You, you have a different flute for every key and he had to bring lots to be able to build up these <laughs> melodies and get the right sound as well. And in the end, I think we tried out a few different ones, actually. We tried out some Chinese flutes called Dizzy's, and we tried out various bamboo flutes that are I- identical to the Sautruk. And we eventually arrived at the right sound, the right pitch. And what he gave was a, 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 just a great performance. I mean, you can hear it. It, it just mm. really changes it. Like It's something you cannot demo. Like, I sent it to you, and I think the first thing I said was, this will sound different. It will sound better. And yeah. um, I think that that's been proven. This, the player just changes it. And, and while I'm there as well, I'll talk about the Ehu as well. Again, very fortunate to, to get one, who, um, a friend of mine from college, who is, is a successful Ehu session player and, and live player. And wow, I mean, all I had was like a cello sample. And I told you like, immediately, this is going to sound very, very different. Yes, I remember this. Yeah. And he, he was one of those sort of dream recording artists, basically. They just send you back three versions, the version that you ask for, the version you say you can play around with, and then their version. And you always use their version because it's <laughs> the best one. And it was so nice to, to, to work with him. It all had to be remote, of course, because he's over, I think, in Hong Kong. Yeah, he was amazing as well. And th- these are the things that I think brought it to life and really put you in place. That, that's the thing that helps set that tone, set the scene as well. Um, yeah, so very, very fortunate yeah. to get those, those two in particular. There were other people who recorded as well, more um, mostly Western instruments, but they, again, lifted it to just be a different thing, really. I remember this is a question we kind of went over a lot early on was being very concerned about getting our sense of place of kind of our, this show is set kind of in and around the Indian Ocean these are who our characters are and I think I just remember sort of repeatedly going it's not Pirates of the Caribbean we can't <laughs> we can't do Pirates of the Caribbean because first of all we're not in the Caribbean but also secondly it's not through that kind of western gaze it's not centering a, a group of white people so yeah that was the, the the first question was how do we touch on what is kind of stirring and familiar about the idea of the nautical epic and the thing that makes you go oh yeah we're off on an adventure and at the same time go but this is you're you're being invited to look at this genre in a different way which very much came from Nemo the conversations we'd had about your sort of love-hate relationship with the genre of nautical epics so I mean, we were trying to reflect that in the music yeah absolutely i, I mean that, that's my favorite thing to do as well is, is kind of negotiate those challenges i like to write something that's fusiony but getting that precise balance was the challenge here i think like it, it had to have an element of that nautical epic right and and i think mm. early on as well you wanted a bit of a contemporary edge as well that was um had a bit more beat to it but then you know finding a way that the massive orchestral stuff you often hear you know the Hans Zimmery Pirates of the Caribbean mm. stuff is just one element of the things you're hearing and that was a really really nice challenge with this 
So that's the theme. Um, let's talk about some of the other music yeah. in the show because sort of you alluded to this at the beginning, Sam, with sort of saying we have to kind of try and predict what music we're going to need. So let's talk about that because we have different beds for different characters, and obviously I think we we you, I feel like I'm claiming a lot of credit over the music. <laughs> you started with Alestes, I think. So tell us about kind of yeah writing a well. First of all, what does that mean when you're writing a bed? a character well it's perhaps unfair to say i was writing the beds specifically the way that i do these things now knowing that everything's going to be edited later is is basically designed to extract just loads of assets to use the library term just tons and tons of little files that can be used for different situations and they're all taken out from these suites that i do and in this case, it ended up being that the suites represented specific characters of, you know, most importance in the narrative and that offered the biggest tonal range. And so how we started was, yes, with Alestes, but making sure that that suite covers as many tonal beats as possible. Essentially, within that suite, there's just different arrangements of, of the theme and from that i can then take out what we call music beds which are essentially flavors pads textures things that you associate with a character that can be placed underneath dialogue and underneath you know just anything to give you a musical kind of tonal anchor if that's too pretentious to latch onto while you're you know following the story really and the, the music bed is the kind of simplest form of the, the music can take so it's not theme driven it's not you know grabbing you by the collar musically and dragging you through there's no need for that that's what the, the dialogue's doing it's it's just giving you a feeling and so it can be very simple textural stuff but it's got the the sound qualities of that character I've been finding it really interesting listening to because you've uploaded it to Spotify now, Finally. so I do just listen to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I have been finding it really interesting because I didn't hear any of the music until it was in the episodes, really. And so listening to the songs and hearing them individually and by character. So there are five tracks, the main theme, Alestes and Siva and then Gammon. And it has been really interesting like listening to the episodes now after I've heard the sweets and being like, oh, like that's where that's pulled from. And it's really thematic. <laughs> and I'm like, if I didn't write the episodes, I would write an essay about how the, <laughs> the sound editors have used themes to like hint at certain things. You can really find a lot of like interesting, mm, not spoilers, foreshadowing. Yeah. In the episodes just by listening to the character suites. I mean, that, that's great. I, I can't take credit. The, the editors, you know, I kind of relinquish responsibility. I, I basically give them endless folders and subfolders of what this music <laughs> is for, for them to use, and, and they take it away in this case. And, you know, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that that's going well. But that, that's kind of what we discussed early on, is making sure that there was enough to do that because you know in, a, in an ideal world you know i'd be able to score the whole thing but yeah. if you th- if you actually tally up the minutes i mean it's many films worth isn't it yeah and you know it's, it's just budgetary and practical concerns you just can't do it so it's doing it in a way that's intelligent and hopefully sensitive to what's going to be needed 
but um yeah absolutely it's it's all you know what you hear on finally now is on spotify i'm i'm rubbish <laughs> with uploading music <laughs> listeners to other podcasts know but um yeah it is there and you know you you can hear everything in there i don't think i've written anything new as a, as a sort of a music bed or a sting i've not created anything new it's all just extracted from those arrangements it, it gives it a bit more coherence that way and a bit more um focus to represent those characters it's also it's a great way of thinking about character from my sort of director perspective it was a really useful tool early on for thinking about character being asked this question yeah what is the tonal palette of each of these characters and obviously again with unlimited time and budget we were, I think we would have gone on to do it for every single character in the show but again we had to kind of we had to prioritize um and those are the those are the four characters Alessi's Anne, Seaver and Gammon that we sort of ended up focusing on for different reasons with Alestes, I, I remember the conversation where we were talking about her sort of her darkness and her drive, but also that there's something very childlike in the core of her and that her fundamental desires really stem from childhood. So how could we bring that little kind of bit of... Oh, I suppose it's hope, but I no, I think it's love. Basically, I think mm. you know, how can we bring that that little bit of love kind of into the foreground of her character occasionally? Anna's kind of a partly a plot motivated decision to focus on her because, like you said, Nemo, she, she sort of appears in the background of scenes, and she often sort of heralds that something big is about to go down. She tends to pop up at moments of of high drama. Seaver's our way into the world. And he's who we kind of start with. So we focus on him. And obviously, you have to have a, <laughs> a set of villain music. So yeah. it kind of had to be Gammon because he obviously has to represent, as well as being a threat of himself, he has to represent all of the existential threats to this crew. But yeah, and, and I kind of, my, my sort of justification to myself of, you know, why we didn't then get to go on and do Baker and Noor and Inez is kind of like, well, they're all wrapped up within the main theme they're all mm. you know they they exist as a unit as a crew as well as individually and they're all present in that theme i think mm. it's what i'm going to tell myself anyway yeah and i think season <laughs> one as well like it, it is about unwrapping who siva and alestes are specifically and, and gammon and Anne, and the others have to fall into them a little bit like that's kind of the plot of season one is how how can Alessis control this group of people so yeah I, I think it's the right choice the so. choices you've made as well naturally kind of offered musical variation as well it naturally is colorful musically because they're such varied characters and so I think that's always a bonus when you're bringing that music you know in the edit to have so much to play with and so much that you can immediately identify to as as, as as, as different from another like Gammon for instance it's clearly more western influenced mm, yeah. music than the rest so that's that's a, a nice contrast to, to everything else and then you know I mean going back to Alestes Alestes is definitely my favourite of, of the suites because it's it just so much fun to write but that yeah just going back to what you said Raph about the tonal range for Alestes that was really interesting because there has to be that sense of danger that sense of adventure integrating heritage mm. as well mm. like both sort of chinese and african that was really cool musically to to try and get that together and then there has to be the sensitivity the musical explanation 
for you know why <laughs> she's like that you know yeah and there there was so there was scope i think you actually requested more as well the scope for more emotional arrangement and yeah and that that was that actually turned out to be one of my favorite bits of one playing the air who is he just did this amazing like interpretation of this melody is that you can hear it at the end of the suite on uh, on whatever you listen to it on yeah it's just got very simple orchestral strings under it but then this air who performance above it's incredible well, you're, you're always thinking very much, but this is a little bit like, oh, how the sausage gets made. So, um, <laughs> you know, stop, stop listening now if you don't want to think about these characters being, like, constructed by people who <laughs> want to make you cry. Um, but you are always thinking ahead, kind of going, all right, well, where where is the emotional heartbeat of the show? Where are the moments that kind of sock you in the gut? Where are they going to reside? And obviously so many of those are about Alestes sort of searching for this relationship with her parents so yeah I think I think that's why I made that request for there you know to give us more that where from which we could create these moments of these kind of and again I sort of don't mean this literally but these sort of minor key moments for Alestes because I think she is a character who exists in major key and kind of bombastic sort of larger than lifeness so much of the time so the ability to see her energy drop which also is reflected in the fact that she you know has these moments of physical kind of exhaustion and vulner- physical vulnerability you see it's all everything's connected it's all yeah. it's all connected as above so below um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bittersweet you know music is always uh, i think the most fun stuff to write it's the sort it's the the most complex emotionally and you know it's actually it's always nice to do those kinds of arrangements so yeah that that was probably my favorite of the of the sweets to do mm-hmm. but yeah also i just I'm, I, that's the one i'm happiest with i think because it's it should be weird to hear like a, a guzheng this Chinese zither that everyone recognizes mm. from every Chinese film that's <laughs> got like like hero you know it's full of that stuff mm. you know mixing that with sort of African tuned percussion and drums and it's it mm. they should feel weird but I, I hope that it, it's kind of made coherent and makes sense because that that is Alestes's character so like yeah. I really wanted that to work yeah so happy with that one <laughs> I mean, I personally love it a lot, and like uh, every time I listen to it, I get very happy. Oh, so. I'm glad. <laughs> yes, I think we're uh, we're heading towards wrapping up, but before we go, um, Nemo wanted to ask you about there's a piece of music that in the end didn't make it into the show. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, my ongoing desire to make Trisugotten into a musical, <laughs> 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 where um, if we had all the budget in the world and all the money, every episode would have like five songs into it because I love writing musicals but in episode five Troll the characters apart from Alastis were going to sing uh, Shanti to show that they're working together now or they they're coming together and I actually wasn't a big part in production so I don't really know much of like how you Raph and Sam worked with something like the Shanti how were you planning on going towards it um so basically i had written some lyrics into the script and then was like and now it's your problem (laughs) well i think i think that's sort of partly what it was was because 
<laughs> it's all your fault, Nemo, because you didn't <laughs> the lyrics. Because it wasn't a pre-existing sea shanty, which, as I am sure many listeners know, but the, you know, one of the purposes of those is to create a rhythm while a crew is kind of hauling on the ropes, which is what our, our crew is doing in that episode. So it's a very natural place to have a sea shanty. But yeah, Nemo had written one into the script, and then it, yeah, essentially became a process of. We sort of, if we're not going to do this beautifully, then we're not going to do it at all. And we'll kind of, we'll save that, we'll shelve it for further down the line. So it was, I think we were kind of trying to find someone with a sort of specialism in that, in that kind of folk music, sort of sea shanty to kind of to compose tune uh, it. But then we also couldn't, we, it was after we'd finished recording, so we couldn't, it was a sort of a scheduling thing as well. We couldn't get the cast back together to record it. And it actually ended up having an effect on the storytelling of the episode, and I think in a positive way, because what it meant was we sort of saved that beat of, oh, the crew is working perfectly in unison now. So if you go back and listen to that episode, even when they're kind of going, oh, oh, you know, I think Baker kind of giving the rhythm, they're not quite in time with each other. So actually there's a little thing like there's still, you know, it's episode five of the show. They're still, they're not quite functioning in this sort of perfect harmony yet Mm -hmm. as a crew. Like they're, they're still just about getting by so I think kind of narratively it ended up being a good decision to to save that as well yeah definitely forced the 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 content to come before my desire to just put (laughs) the sea shanty in because I was like it's a you know nautical epic it has to have sea shanty in it they all have to come together and sing the song but you are right when I was like listening to the episode I was like yes they should not be together yet and when they do come together in the future, it will be so much more earned because everyone will know that it. it's like, yes, they are working together. Mm. That is group cohesion. Yeah. And this is also because they're sharing their stories while they're doing that haul mm. as well. So we have Baker tells us the glue scrap story and Noor talks about Yemen. Mm. So they're just starting to open up to each other. And I think also if you then had the shanty on top of that, it's almost too many set pieces yeah. in a way. So there's also something about the, ry- the rhythm of the whole episode as well. But I mean, again, this is, I feel like I've spent five minutes sort of justifying why we can do <laughs> something, but I, I do genuinely think it was, it, it's a beautiful possibility. It's not a kill your babies, it's a save your babies for mm-hmm. the future. And it's something that we have to look forward to yeah i i saved it in a separate document and i'm like ha 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 <laughs> yeah so future seasons in my head are built around the fact that sorry sam the rest of the show if we get the ability to make more of this show is all a musical season two season three sung through in its entirety <laughs> yeah so get cracking on that sam we'll uh we await the demos in our yeah. inbox really good <laughs> Uh, this is a good time to introduce our Kickstarter for Trust Forgotten the Musical. <laughs> Live on stage, West End, exclusive. All performed by Nemo. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, everyone would be really excited to hear me sing. Oh, definitely. With, with that image of uh, Nemo performing their solo Trust Forgotten rapidly multi-rolling through the entire cast that is a very lovely place for you to close (laughs) before we do um sam thank you so much for coming and talking to us where can we find you well absolute pleasure um yeah you can well you can hear some of my music on spotify very slowly uploading things i have a website but that's only okay 
and IMDb, you can see what I've worked on. Uh, I'm one of very many Sam Jones composers, so good luck finding me. But yes, continuing to work on Rustic Well stuff, so you can see me around, for sure. And Nemo, where can we find you? As ever, I am on Twitter and Tumblr at Zeus dash japonicus or you can just type my name in or if you're in the trice forgotten tag i'm also there (laughs) and as ever i am on at rafaela marcus on twitter thank you so much sam and thank you nemo so until next time it is goodbye from me raf and goodbye from sam and nemo goodbye Trice Forgotten is a podcast distributed by Rusty Quill and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. The series is created by Nemo Martin and directed by Rafaela Marcus and was edited by Laurie Ann Davis and Catherine Rinella. Trice Forgotten is produced by Ian Gears, Laurie Ann Davis and production manager Natasha Johnston with executive producers Alexander J. Newell and April Sumner. To subscribe, view associated materials or join our Patreon, visit RustyQuill.com. Rate and review us online. Tweet us at The Rusty Quill. Visit us on Facebook or email us at mail at RustyQuill.com. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.